welcome to the Profiles in Persistence show. I'm Dusty Rollins, founder and owner of Oxford Business Services. We help entrepreneurs and business owners maximize their profit and minimize their taxes. We believe there should be limits to how much the IRS can punish your success. Stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest on this great inspirational daily podcast. Let's go. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I am really thrilled to have with me Jeremy Parker. As far as I can tell, he's about as serial entrepreneurial as you can get. So I'm going to be really interested to hear about his journey, uh, his vision, and where uh, he may be seeing entrepreneurship go uh, as we move um, further into the decade. So Jeremy, first of all, welcome. And thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. So, Jeremy, could you tell uh, the listeners a little bit about your professional background? Yes. So, I am the co-founder and CEO of Swag.com. We're the best place for companies to buy quality promotional products that you'll actually want to keep. We launched the business in 2016. Um, We did about 350,000 in sales the first year, about 1.1 million in 2017, about 3.1 million in 2018, 2019, about 7 million. And in 2020, we did about 15.4 million in sales. Um, we help over 5,000 companies ranging from Amazon, Google, Netflix, and TikTok create their quality promotional products. And we also make it really easy for customers to distribute swag to all of their remote employees. So sending swag to their remote employees, their best leads to close sales, um, humanize their virtual events. So allowing people to really easily buy swag and distribute swag to whoever they want all over the world. Now, before swag, I've done a lot of different startups. I started one of the first ever product placement companies in YouTube videos. So take yourself back. This is before TikTok existed, Instagram, et cetera. Um, All these influencers on YouTube were getting millions of views, making no money whatsoever. We allowed them to get brands like State Farm, Colgate, and Verizon into the YouTube videos. And we made a lot of these YouTube stars millionaires. Um, And now everybody, everyone who has an influence on social media is getting paid a lot of money. But there was a time about 10 years ago, which that wasn't the case. Um, I ultimately ended up getting the rights to major celebrity contracts for their Twitter and Facebook before they knew that it was valuable, ultimately selling that company to a publicly traded company. I've had failures, started a social networking app that didn't materialize and didn't take off to where it needed to be um, to starting swag. So I have the ups and the downs, the successes, the failures, but um, through it all, I've been an entrepreneur. So Jeremy, with that sort of background, what do you... What's been your experience for what makes a successful entrepreneur? It can't just be luck. It's got to be hard work, but it's got to be opportunity. It's got to be catching lightning in a bottle, or or am I completely off on all of those? No, I think it's a combination of everything. You know, I think there is a lot of luck in startups, but um, that's not the defining factor that, monk, that, that makes something successful or not. I think a lot of what it takes to be an entrepreneur is being okay with failure. I think getting into that mindset that it's okay to fail and it's okay to learn. I think being super open-minded, I think the entrepreneurs that just have a vision and they think their vision is 100% right, they're not willing to take feedback or they're not willing to learn and change their opinion. Um, I don't think those entrepreneurs are usually, you know, I could be proven wrong many times, but I don't think they're usually the successful ones. I think people who are open-minded, who realize that their idea might not be the best idea, that the customer really knows better than the entrepreneur. 
And if you listen to the customer, and if you learn from the customer, if you build the right product for the customer, you're going to have a much better platform, much better business. So that's what I've done. I've really kind of set myself up and try to understand there's an idea. There's always an idea. It starts somewhere. But when you launch something, you're going to learn a lot and being able to quickly adjust and then pivot and learn more and then keep adjusting and being okay that things are not going to work out 100% from day one. And that's part of the process. And I think for me and for swag, you know, making sure my team feels that same thing. You know, a lot of people can get discouraged if something doesn't work out right away. That's, that's a common trait. Something doesn't work and you get discouraged and then you kind of, you know, you revert back or you start questioning things. You start having, I think if people are okay with the failure, okay, that failure is a part, a stepping stone to getting where you need to be. I think everything's going to be, you know, a lot easier to, to get where you want to be. Jeremy, one of my favorite phrases is uh, when preparation meets opportunity, luck occurs. Mm-hmm. That's certainly been true for me. And it sounds like that might be one of the things you're saying. Is that a fair assessment? Fair assessment. So the um, I, was, I really wanted to ask you that because uh, I'm a lawyer by professional training. So we did not have an entrepreneurial mindset uh, at all, nor were we taught to have one. And so I'm fascinated by learning about that mindset and how that mindset really can help a wide variety of uh, different types of businesses from a U.S. publicly traded corporation who may be a multinational doing business outside the United States to uh, a one-man shop and to really to everything in between. Uh, And what I heard you say was really the the ability to take information, whether that information is failure, whether that information is feedback from your customers, whether that information might be feedback from uh, investors or potential investors, and really utilize that for uh, not only continuous monitoring, but continuous improvement of your business as well. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, I just put put in perspective, we have this uh, swag in the box feature. Um, We launched this about a year and a half ago. Swag in the box is, we have many different parts of the swag.com experience. We have the swag.com e-commerce site where people could buy, you know, a thousand t-shirts, a thousand notebooks and send them to their office. We have the swag in the box, which was a new initiative where it allowed people to buy these fully custom branded swag boxes with, you know, custom notebooks and pens and crinkle paper and note cards, all kitted, all packaged up, whether it's held in our inventory and you could distribute it one at a time or we'll, or whether we send you a thousand pre-kitted boxes to your office and you can distribute yourself. That experience is okay. And we've already adjusted that experience three times already. And we're about to build an update to that experience in the next couple of months. Um, we've done about a million dollars a month just in that experience, the swag in the box. And we're constantly learning. And people would think you did a million dollars a month in an experience. That sounds pretty amazing, but there's always room to get better. There's always room to improve it. And we were doing is taking what we're, what we're being told by our customers. The customers are saying, hey, it'd be a lot easier if you could buy multiple boxes at the same time. It would be a lot easier if you could do this or that. And when you get enough kind of feedback that they're all saying the same thing, it's time to do it. Now, don't just listen to your customers and do every single thing that they tell you to do because you'll never build the right thing. But try to understand, is this something that a lot of your customers would want? Are they asking for it? If they're not, then don't build it. If they are and it becomes overwhelming, then that's something that you should prioritize. So really just being open-minded to shifting your focus of what really is needed um, and times could change. So I think just being completely open-minded as an entrepreneur and being okay to start, even if you don't have a product, you know, when we launched swag.com, we only had a web, a landing page. We didn't have a website. It said swag.com. It was a stock photo. And we're like, well, how is anyone going to buy from our site? We don't even know what the product to build is. So our initial idea was, what if we got a row of logos on the company, on the site? 
So to show off that we work with Facebook and Google and Netflix, well, how are we going to do that? So the initial idea was Josh, my co-founder and I, we said, what if we just became traveling salesmen? Let's just be okay with the ultimate rejection, in-person rejection. So we showed up at Facebook's office. We got into the office. We're walking up and down the hallways of Facebook. We're talking to different people and we're seeing who wants to buy swag and we're walking with our bag and we're legit traveling salesmen. And it didn't matter to us about how much money we're going to make on the order. That really didn't matter at all. It was about learning what kind of products the customer wanted, the experience for how to make the experience better for them on buying the swag. And also just getting that row of logos of saying, this is who we work for. You know, if a small startup sees that swag.com work with Facebook, they'll be more inclined to work with us. So once we got this deal, we made about 5% margin on that first deal. Next day we go to WeWork and they say, who else have we worked with? And we say Facebook. And they probably assume we're working with thousands of other customers, but really it was just Facebook. And we re replicated that, that cycle to get that blue chip row of logos and also what we did is we learned exactly the right first version of the platform to build. So we spent all of 2016, you know, really building out this kind of MVP, if you will, this really minimal viable product that could get out in the market. And then we launched in 2017 and we realized, well, there's a lot of things that could be improved upon this, but at least the, the, the website could actually transact orders. And then we could keep building and building and refining and making it better. And now we, you know, we did about three and a half million dollars in sales in the month of November alone. And we have zero salespeople. It's all inbound. You know, we just hired our first salesperson, first inbound salesperson about four months ago. So all, majority of all the sales that we've ever done in the last five years is completely inbound and completely customer-centered and product-focused of closing sales. And now we're saying, you know what? Now we could probably add a layer of a sales team on top of it. So it's just about learning, understanding who our customer base is, understanding who the initial customer is, and then things could expand from there. So... I think it's just being super, super open-minded to feedback and to understand, to learning from your customers because they really know better than we do. So you said a lot of things in there that really introduced the next question I wanted to pose to, which, which is how do you maintain such a positive customer experience when everything's online? That's a good question. And it's actually even more complicated with our type of business because it's all custom. So it's, there's a lot of uneasiness when buying custom products on, on, on the website because it needs to be exactly your Pantone color. You know, Coca-Cola red is very different than Staples red and it has to be exactly six inches or, and by the way, if you mess up, you can't really do anything with a mess up order, right? You're not going to, you can't just return it. It's, it's, where does it go? So we have to be insanely precise with the, the, the user experience and giving that comfort, that comfort level, that confidence so the first thing is we just have to source the best products out there and we have to be very curated in the offering. A lot of the other promotional product sites in our industry, I'm not going to name names, but offer thousands upon thousands of products. And a lot of it is throwaway. We call throwaway, which not only, you know, costs your company money because it ends up in the trash, but it tarnishes your brand. So we've been very focused on only offering products that people will actually want to keep. That was the first thing. The second thing is giving a really clean kind of visual showing the products really elegantly, not being too cluttered, making it very easy to kind of digest the quality of the product. Then allowing the upload system. We built our own patent pending technology that when you upload your logo, it detects how many colors are in your logo and the nearest Panto match. So we could allow customers to mock things up, see it exactly how it's going to look, and also giving them the confidence that after they check out, 
we're always going to create for them a virtual production mock-up to approve before we ever print. So if you create an order on our site, we'll send you the mock-up. And if you say, hey, Jeremy, can you make this you know, five inches versus six inches or move it up or down or change it entirely, we will make as many corrections as you want as a customer until you give us the green light. And once you give us the green light, then we'll start production. So it's just about a lot of confidence, a lot of multiple different levels of checking to make sure it's exactly how you want it to come out. So I'm always fascinated by entrepreneurs and those who are innovative uh, along the lines of the following. How is it you looked at the same thing that I and millions of other people looked at for a long time and you saw something different? Or did you do market research, which told you, hey, this could be a thing? How did you come about? How did you and your partner decide to to found swag.com? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I had a... a um... I had an insight that others ne- didn't necessarily have. So when I graduated college, I started a t-shirt company. It was a, my first business. I didn't know anything about business at this point. I was a documentary filmmaker in college. So it was very different, but I realized that I might want to um, go down the rabbit hole of being a businessman. And I didn't really understand what I liked or what I was good at. So I thought starting the t-shirt company at 21, 22 was a very smart idea because I would learn all the different aspects of starting a business, whether it was manufacturing, fulfillment, building an e-commerce site. I mean, this was before Shopify, so it, was, it wasn't as easy to build a, an e-commerce site as it is right now. But doing all the different aspects of, of e-commerce and selling and trying to understand the industry. That business was launched at probably the worst time you could launch a business. It was three months before the recession hit in 2007. So all of the t-shirts that we were selling to all these kind of high-end boutiques went under. And during that time, I kind of thought, well, I'm learning about the business. I started, was reading a lot of blogs. One of my most famous blogs I was reading was Blog Maverick by Mark Cuban. And I thought, you know what? What if I create a marketing strategy that could tie into the Dow Jones? It was a little gimmicky, but what the idea was when somebody buys a t-shirt on our site, they're given the price of the Dow Jones. And for every hundred points the Dow drops, they would get a discount on their t-shirt price. And I wrote Mark Cuban a note and I said, this is an idea I had. Let me know what you think. And he ended up writing about my article, my note to him in his blog, which got a lot of exposure, which got picked up by Ad Age, and Ad Age's big media magazine wrote about us, which got on the MV Sports CEO's desk, and he read about it, and he connected to me. Um, and MV Sport is one of the largest players in the promotional product space. So I had no knowledge of the swag industry whatsoever, and I got introduced to it through MV Sport, and I would go to these different trade shows, and I would see who the, the buyer is and how the experience was, and all of the selling was happening through catalogs. And to me, that seemed weird. I was very, I was an e-commerce kid, you know. I was a more of a younger millennial, so I was buying all the stuff online, and everybody was going to these trade shows and buying from literally a thousand-page catalog, which didn't make much sense to me. And a lot of the products were very throw, it was very schlocky, and there was too many options. And I was looking at who the buyer was at that point, and the buyer was a much older buyer. So I never thought to do anything. But then you fast forward 10 years, and I've always been interested in this industry, and I'm seeing, well, the industry is only growing and getting bigger, but the buyers change. The buyer is no longer this 40, 50-year-old office manager. The buyer is a 23-year-old. And I know as a 35-year-old, even me, I don't want to talk to people on the phone. I want to buy things without having to speak to anyone. I would love to do it myself. I don't want to sift through thousands of products just to find stuff that I'm not sure if it's quality or not. So I would assume even more so the younger generation would probably want to streamline the entire experience. So the market was getting bigger. It was all fragmented, broken, like it was 12 years ago. That was my insight 12 years ago, but the buyer changed. And once that, the, I realized that the buyer is different than it used to be, I thought there's a really big opportunity for us. 
So I'd like to explore swag and why that not only is so popular, but what my personal experience is it can be incredibly powerful as a businessman. And I'll give you my example. In my other life, I have a podcast network. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, whenever I have a guest, I send that guest a coffee mug with a network logo. And I have gotten more compliments from that. And I don't know if it's the thoughtfulness of sending a gift. I don't know if it's the thoughtfulness of sending, I, have a, I put a written note uh, with each coffee mug, but everyone will give me a picture of them using the mug. And of course, mm-hmm. then, you know, I can use that going forward. But uh, many people have just said, wow, I've never gotten anything for doing something like this. Is, is my experience typical or unusual? Very typical. It's an, honestly, you know, you give somebody a gift. They, they, they even have stats that came out. The, the person, the recipient is 10 times more likely to act. They feel like compelled. There's a compulsion to it. I send you something more than the email. Email you could kind of, you know, delete. It's nothing. You give somebody, you go out of your way and you send somebody a physical product that clearly costs you money. It costs you money to ship it. It costs you money to make it. It costs the thought and the energy to write a note. All these things are to the recipient saying, wow, this person's a value. This person values me. They're valuing you know, me enough to do this effort. It's more likely to get you that business meeting. It's more likely to get them to like you, to remember you, to be thinking of you. There's a lot of benefit of giving gifts. And we've learned that. And that's why we started to build this distribution platform. About two years ago, in 2017, we realized the power of account-based marketing. That's what I would call you sending a personalized gift to somebody. It's account-based marketing. It really forms this relationship it's taking something online and turning it offline and forming a real kind of connection. We know this, the power of that. So we start building our swag distribution platform, allowing companies not only the ability to buy a thousand t-shirts and send it to your office, which is the typical industry of promotional products, but allowing them to buy a thousand t-shirts, hold it in an inventory closet, if you will, like an online swag closet and distribute those thousand t-shirts to a thousand different addresses at once. We thought it'd be very powerful. So over the last two years, we've been building out this platform. Now, before the pandemic, it was a nice to have feature, right? People were using it, certain companies were using it, marketing divisions really. But once the pandemic hit, it became a need to have. Everyone's working so remotely. No one's connected. How do you stay more connected than ever? If you're not gonna go to that trade show, how are you gonna stay connected to your customers? If you're not in the same office, how are you gonna stay connected to your remote employees and keep the company culture thriving? If you, instead of going to events and engaging with potential leads, how are you gonna humanize your online events? All of these different things, the power of swag really has a play. And a lot of the companies in our industry just didn't have the system to easily distribute it to remote addresses. That was the big, big aha moment. So when the industry fell apart last year, the promotional industry was down over 40% or more. It was really sad. It was really bad. But for us, we grew over 100%. um, And we were able to do that because of this use case of people needing to buy swag and distributing it to all these different addresses. And we made it so simple for people who are buying through an e-commerce experience to literally click a button. And now everything's held in this inventory closet. And now they can have a marketing clause and the sales clause and the London office and the New York office. And they can have different permission settings and approval flows and really be able to not only distribute swag to these remote addresses, but manage the swag and do it by budgets and do it by all these different things. So we're trying to build out this fully room, this fully robust platform um, that could be useful for people, whether they're in their office or they're out of the office. So you said something in there I really had not heard before, which is the use of swag uh, to maintain uh, a company culture or to maintain your touch point with your employee who's working remotely that you may not have seen for six, nine, or perhaps even now 12 months is that sounds to be something new. 
that is, it's, it's definitely, it's not new in terms of people buying it for their office. That was actually one of the big use cases before the pandemic, but that became even more important when, when this pandemic hit, because everyone is so disconnected. Everyone is fearful. Everyone's nervous. Everyone's, you know, living at their parents' home. I mean, think about most companies, employees are, are younger millennials are now moved in with their families or they're completely isolated or they're new parents and they're having to take care of their children, or they have young children that are now having to homeschool. Everyone's so disconnected and feeling like what's going to happen with us. And I think teams, it's very important for companies to treat their family and their teams as family. You know, look at them and say, we want to make you feel more safe. We want to make you feel that we care about you. And being able to send them something in the mail that shows that we care about you. Here's a gift that could be useful for yourself you know, while you're working at home. And this new, you know, we're dealing with customers who are sending speakers to uh, their, their employees who are working home because that's useful or like pots and pans. We sold like cast iron skillets with the company's logos or like um, coloring books because we know a lot of their employees have children who this could be something that they could use. Like being really thoughtful about your gifting um, and really trying to engage with everybody. It's just about being connected. And I think we're so disconnected. Swag is really a unifier. It really connects you. You know, I know when you're walking down the, down the street and I don't know what sports team you like, but you could walk past people and never even acknowledge them. But if you're walking down the street and now you see somebody who went to your, you know, old college or, you know, loves the same sports team as you, you feel that connection with that person, even remote, you know, like you don't even have to talk to them. You just, you feel some sort of a connection. And it's the same thing with remote teams. When people wear the same things, when they're using the same products, when they're putting a pair of socks on, they have your company's logo, they're feeling like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And I think that's really important, especially now more than ever. Well, I was going to ask you how the coronavirus health crisis uh, has changed your approach, but you've answered that. So let me then ask, do you think that these innovations, not only you and your team have come up with, are going to continue into 2021 and beyond, but more importantly, the message that you're bringing of connectedness and using different tactics to connect with your employees, your customers, uh, other stakeholders will, will resonate with your customers as we move you know, down to 2025 and beyond. I, I 100% believe that. You know, we were building this distribution platform um, two years ago. We didn't build it because of the pandemic. It wasn't a reactionary focus of ours. Like, oh, we have to do something right now. We built this because we saw the, the, the writing on the wall. Even two years ago, a lot of companies were, and we were listening to our customers. I mean, really, if we didn't listen to our customers, we wouldn't have had the platform that could allow us to not only survive the pandemic, but thrive in it. Because it was, it was our customers two years ago telling us, hey, a lot of our employees are working remotely. We're starting to hire a lot of people in different states. You know, that's be, that was becoming a thing, a really popular thing is work from home culture. Or I don't want to, you know, travel to that event across the country. I would rather send swag to people at that event. Or, you know, hey, can you build us a tool that could actually capture the recipient's address and what t-shirt size they are? Speak to the system and distribute. They were telling us all the features that we developed were because customers were needing it. And now it's become a need to have. And I think there's no way for us to predict what 2021 is going to look like. I don't want to even claim to know how the work from home culture and how that's going to, going to stay or not stay. But I know for internally, you know, ideally, we would love to get back into the office. I think it's very important to be in the office. But I know the office experience for us internally is not going to be the same as it used to be. You know, we used to be five days a week. Now it's probably going to be like two days a week. It's going to be mostly just to connect again, have lunches, happy hours and stuff for the culture aspect, but maybe not requiring people to travel two hours every day into an office setting. And I think a lot of companies are going to be in a similar space to us. So I, I think our business is only going to grow in terms of the business that took a big hit that hasn't come back yet, HR managers onboarding new hires, 
that has not come back yet because people are frankly not hiring right now. But I do believe when the pandemic ends and all these millions of people who are unfortunately unemployed will need to be hired. And there's going to be a lot of HR managers wanting to give them a great onboarding experience. And a lot of these new hires will probably not need to go into the office. So that's our belief. So when that is the case, so not only do you be onboarding new hires, but they're going to need to do so in a remote environment. And they're going to need our service to be able to distribute that swag, distribute those gifts to those remote addresses. So our feeling is 2021 should be a very telling year. It should be a very exciting year. Or hopefully it's a very safe year for everybody. Um, but I, I think the platform that we built and how we made it so easy to go from e-commerce to distribution is going to be very needed and, uh, and very used. So you talked about the different types of swag for different occasions and for different stakeholders. Is that something that you can help advise a client or a potential customer on, or do they come to you with, with uh, uh, we want a set of coloring books or we want coffee mugs or we want pots and pans? How does that work? Yeah, this, it's a great question. There's, there's different types of customers. We have customers who come to us and say they want you know a notebook. And that's their mentality. I just want, I'm looking for a notebook because they know exactly the reason and the use case for it. We have other customers that say, hey, I'm looking for the type of gift. Like I'm looking for a gift for my employees. They don't really know exactly what they want. And we have a team that can help them, guide them, direct them. They could say, my team is you know, between 30 and 40 and they're based on the East Coast and they're really into tech gadgets. So we'll have certain, some suggestions there. So a marketing person could say, I'm doing an event and it's geared towards this audience and this demographic, and they're really into this. So we'll give them suggestions on that. So it comes, it's very different. We have tons of different types of customers. People know exactly what they want. People have no idea what they want, but we're here to help and guide you in the right way and give you suggestions that you could take or leave. You don't have to, you don't have to agree with the suggestions we have. We have our whole site. It's really easy to find what you're looking for. It's really easy to filter down based on color, based on price point, based on production time, et cetera but we have a whole team that can help as well. So it's not just a self-automated site. It's that with a layer of customer service. So let me change the focus just a little bit. I think I found in researching you for this podcast, you had founded a uh, either a site or an application called Up, UP. Yep. Yep. And could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that, that was started because there was a lot of these kind of anonymous sites that were out there that were kind of used to bully and break people down. It was like a very popular thing about how many years ago, seven, seven or so years ago, where there was a lot of companies. It was a company called Secret and Whisper. And there was all these kind of stories of people, you know, really hurting themselves and getting bullied into a bad place mentally. And I just thought it would be kind of an interesting flip side of the coin if you built a site that had the complete opposite effect. As opposed to using an anonymity to break people down and bully them, what if you could use anonymity to uplift and inspire? And I just know on a personal level, a lot of people don't necessarily want to tell their friends, hey, you're doing a great job. I'm, I, I admire you here or there. People are embarrassed, I think, voice their opinions or tell people that they're around them or people that they see it, they care about them. And I thought that maybe the level of anonymity could kind of remove that blockage. Like, you know, saying something nice to somebody could really have such an impact in someone's life. So if you could remove all the kind of, you know, feeling of like, are they going to think of me as weird? Is this going to get out that I'm complimenting? I mean, it's, it's such a weird thing. Like people should think that complimenting somebody or saying something nice about something should be welcome, but most people just don't do it. And I, I thought it could be something that could be, you know, an interesting kind of thing to test. It was a side project of mine. I was doing some other things. And I thought, you know, I have the ability to build apps. And I know how to do this stuff and design apps. Um, and make it really as simple as possible where all you need to do is just send a message that gets text to somebody and it comes completely anonymous um, from an anonymous number. I thought it could be really cool. And, and 
we had some great results and people, I think used it a lot. A lot of people were using it and sending it and, you know, it felt, uh, it felt like I was doing something good. So unfortunately, uh, Jeremy, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if any of our listeners wanted more information on you or swag.com, where could they go? Yeah, you can obviously check us out at swag.com, S-W-A-G.com. You could send me an email, jeremy at swag.com, or check me out on LinkedIn and reach out. Um, obviously, we'd love to help you out if you're a company or organization looking to buy swag or distribute swag to your remote employees, your best customers, your leads, you know, humanizing virtual events, any of the use cases that you could use, we would love to help you out. And uh, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I'd like to say a word about uh, this podcast sponsor, Dusty Rollins. Dusty would be a great person for perhaps you to meet, Jeremy, or for any of our entrepreneurial listeners. He does uh, tax strategy. That's not tax planning. It's not doing your practices. It's taking what you have and helping you plan for three, five, 10 years down the road, whether you want to cash out, uh, whether you want to build what you're doing. So uh, you should check out his site, DustyRollins.com. Jeremy, thank you so much. Uh, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this uh, interview. So I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Dusty Rollins here. Thank you so much for listening to Profiles in Persistence. If you're a successful business owner or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit thetaxcure.com slash podcast slash apply. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag profiles in persistence. I love seeing your post and your guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content So make sure you don't miss any episodes and go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, www.thetaxcure.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.